What's up, guys? Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. This episode is going to be phase three of digital advertising as MMA companies and how to operate them and scale that aspect of those businesses. I brought on Richard Ruchertu of ClientBoost.com. He is the VP of operations. He's going to be diving deep into taking your startup to the next level of an actual business. And he talks about how to optimize, leverage, and what to stay away from within this process. Enjoy. Before I play the interview, if you feel like you are a confused entrepreneur or you feel like you are just so confused about how entrepreneurship works, this show is for you because I try to offer microscopic understanding through this podcast with entrepreneurship, really understanding how they get from zero to one, one to two, one to three, etc. So please share this with your friends that might be entrepreneurs as well or curious because this content will help them out. Also, with whatever platform you're listening on, just subscribe, rate, and review the show. It takes about 20 seconds, and if you don't, I'll be so, so hurt. So please go and do that. Pause this episode right where it's at. After subscribing to my show, go subscribe to my YouTube channel as well because I do offer videos and other content there that really breaks down and gives you leverageable, actionable things about entrepreneurship that you can digest and think more about and also implement into your own entrepreneurial journey. So go and subscribe to that niche, the niche. With all that being said, guys, let's jump into the interview. All right, Richard, ready to rock and roll? Sweet. So Richard, just to get it kicked off here quickly, just introduce yourself so we know who you are and what you do in business. All right. Uh, so my name is Richard Yurchertu. I am the vice president of operations for the company Client Boost. And in a nutshell, uh, my job is basically to make sure that we structure ourselves and grow ourselves in a sustainable way. I often think of myself as sort of a person that brings uh, clarity and focus to the organization, if you will. So Richard, because this is around the topic, startup to legitimate business, and you are an expert within that, that's what you do within Client Boost. We're going to be diving deep into how you do that specifically and what you recommend we do. So before we jump into that, just say how, like, what do you do on a daily basis in Client Boost that helps them do that? Like, what do you do? <laughs> uh, if you want to break it down to kind of the the play-by-play, the, play, the minute-by-minute, um, I basically come in in the morning uh, and it's just sort of a torrent of information. Um, we use uh, emails, we use Slack, we use Asana as our project management tool. Um, and basically what I do is I, uh, I kind of come in each day and I have kind of set meetings with department heads uh, and leadership. And basically uh, we have a whole laundry list of things we want to accomplish. Um, and our biggest thing is not necessarily, um, you know, we have no lack of things we can do to improve. It's just a question of what's going to move the needle the fastest. Um, so it's kind of, bringing teams together, discussing the ideas we have, creating clarity around it, creating consensus around it, and then mm. executing on it uh, with you know lots of emails and slacks and interruptions in between. Uh, but Dang. that's what makes the job interesting. So Richard, if a younger entrepreneur says like, okay, this is definitely my startup and I want to make this a legit business, it seems confusing to most if I'm in their shoes, like, okay, startup to an actual business. Like where what does the startup look like? And then what does like the actual business look like with employees? Like what is there a difference between the startup and then the actual, okay, this is a legitimate business. Like what are the differences between those two spots? 
Yeah. Um, you know, uh, there's a book I would recommend for people that are going through that, that kind of transition. And, and the name of the author escapes me right now. But there's a book called E-Myth, it's the Entrepreneurial Myth. Um, and in it, they actually have this really great breakdown of sort of the, the phases that you go through. They say that every entrepreneur is made up of three parts. You've got the, uh, the technician, the manager, and the entrepreneur. Um, when you start a business, you're everything. You're wearing all the hats. You're every single person, right? Mm. The technician is basically the person that knows how to do the actual work. So in our case, we're a pay-per-click agency. Our founder, Jonathan, was really good at pay-per-click advertising. Mm. Uh, and he was also good at doing the selling. And he kind of did everything himself. And the evolution from, you know, uh, Jonathan starting this by himself in, in a Starbucks to 55 employees and all of our success was the first thing he had to do was he had to stop doing the, the technical work. You got to find people that you can work with to basically handle that day to day. So, you know, if you're still two to three people, you're doing a lot of the dirty work. As you get bigger, you will start to give that work down to your first employees that you're having. That being said, in that, you know, kind of crucial stage between that five to, to 10 or 15 people, you're going to be a manager. You're going to be working a yeah. lot, you know, with those people trying to figure out like, what are we doing to improve you? What are we doing to make you the best, you know, technician or worker that we can to finish the work? But then the next evolution I see is often the hardest one. That uh, manager to entrepreneur is the big shift. And basically the way to think of it is a manager works very much so inside of the business. You're trying to figure out what am I doing to maximize productivity, to stay on top of things, to, to get the work done, to get the work shipped. But the entrepreneur piece of it, that is really thinking of your company as a whole. And that's actually yeah. going to be, you know, figuring out what am I doing with my brand? What is our vision? Where are we going? What are we doing? You know, mm -hmm. and being clear about that stuff. And that's sort of where I think sort of that, that trend, you know, it's, you can't really point to one thing and yeah. say, okay, now you're a startup. Now you're a legitimate business. It happens very gradually. <laughs> you know, there's some days where we're less legitimate than others. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're, and you're going to be kind of focusing on building a management team. And that I think is kind of been our most recent growth has mm -hmm. been creating a mid-management level where we have more managers than we've ever had before. And the leadership team thinks more entrepreneurially. Hmm. What are we doing on the big picture? What are we doing to move that kind of stuff? Dang. If that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Richard, what would you recommend that we do if we're engaging in this process, if we're growing from the start of phase to an actual business? What do you recommend the process we take literally when we decide, okay, we're going to start being bigger, being better of, uh, you know, scaling more of this company. So we don't call, we're not called a startup anymore. Like where should we start? What processes <laughs> system should we start with uh, in the beginning when we start that process, I guess? Yeah. So uh, the biggest challenge I think, or one of the many challenges I should say, where, you know, you're a startup and you're wanting to be that legitimate business. I sort of talked a little bit about, you know, you're going to have to have technicians, you're gonna have to have managers, you're gonna have to be able to, to move out of that. Um, I am definitely the, the kind of arbiter or the architect of the systems here at Client Boots. You have to create consistency in your organization and how you do things. Otherwise, you'll never grow. Um, and what I found to be the most helpful for that, and this is, I'm going to mention EMIF again, is in it, they talk about every time you encounter an issue or a problem, there's the number one and the number two. Number one, you fix the issue. You know, whatever you got to do, you got to, you got a client upset, you got to ship something, whatever it is, figure it out, whatever you got to do to make that happen. Number two, figure out how to make that problem never happen again. And that's where systems and process start to come online. My big thing for this has always been uh, really focus on diligent, like documentation and training. Um, mm. Because what you'll experience is like in our case, you know, when we had only three to four account managers, it was easy to kind of sit shoulder to shoulder and you're, you know, you're solving problems as they come up and you're handling that. But when you start moving to 10, 
15, 20 account managers, you just can't be sitting behind everyone's you know, shoulder exactly. all day long. So that's where the systems and processes will start to come online. And that's where you want to start being very specific about this is the way we do things. This is how our process works. Hmm. Um, another book I'd recommend for your audience is, uh, is Traction by Gino Wickman, um, which uh, is the Entrepreneurial Operating System, or EOS as it's called. It's a very common thing you hear about. But in there, they'll actually provide uh, sort of a framework, if you will, for how to structure a bigger team. Um, wow. And so that's something that, you know, you can use EOS as small as a seven or eight person company, and you can use it up to, you know, a company of 2000 people, but that's where it'll get a lot more into kind of the detailed systems that we could probably talk about for hours, <laughs> but, uh, but I'll keep it short. <laughs> yeah, Richard. So getting into that just a little bit, because traction, mm -hmm. you said traction brings up about that mid management level where the entrepreneur that's running that business is focused more on managing and teaching the employees, the early employees, how to do certain things that they can outsource, that they can create, they can do more of the innovation and creativity within the business. And so my question to you is when they're doing that mid management that helps them mitigate those systems and process that are in place for the account managers that are doing their job. What do you recommend that we do optimally to set that up the best way? Like, how do you, how do you set up the mid-management level the best possible way? Do you know that? Do you have any prior knowledge, experience as of now? And how <laughs> you, we'd recommend a younger entrepreneur looking at this situation, how can we optimize that? Yeah, um, two uh, pretty key things with your mid-management layer. Um, first one, and this one even expands beyond mid-management, and this is where you start to get in kind of the entrepreneurial stuff. A lot of times when you start up a company, you don't really know what it is or what you stand for. Mm. Um, Client Boost, we didn't actually create sort of our, our vision, our mission statement, our core values, our plans. We had already been in business for two years when we started doing that. Wow. You know, <laughs> Sometimes the, the answers will sort of reveal themselves exactly. to you. Um, but that's been very helpful to have a clear vision about where we're going, what we want to do, what we stand for. And when we talk about mid-management layer, those core values, um, you know, in our case, uh, the, the joke, the way to remember them is we, uh, our core values, the acronym is PFART, purple fart. <laughs> <laughs> and it stands for push, fun, accountability, resilience, and transparency. Those are our core values that we have as a company. And so literally every single employee we have, we look through those, uh, those core values and we understand, are they a match for all of these? There's another extension on it called, uh, called GWC, which means gets it, wants it, and capacity to do it. So do they get what we do? Do they want to do the current job that they're in? And do they have the capacity to do that job? So when you're talking about a mid-management layer, you got to have people that are a match for your core values. They got to be like the strong, you know, the way I look at it is Paragon, like the absolute best representation of who that mid-management layer should be because yeah. they're going to be sort of the ambassadors of your culture and their teams will reflect them. So you got to make sure their core values fit, hmm. you know, and I suggest everyone define those core values and list them out. And literally, like we have a spreadsheet where we go through them and we look at each employee and we understand where they're at on that, on that level. So that is really important. Hmm. The other thing too, I'll say that has been really helpful for us, and this is gonna kind of depend on, on the type of CEO you are or how big your organization is from either a vertical or horizontal perspective, um, is we use something called an accountability chart. So uh, an accountability chart is pretty simple to understand. It's essentially just an org chart, but with more detail. And the detail you add into that org chart is these are the responsibilities of each person in that seat, in that job position. Hmm. It's important when you create an accountability chart, you don't actually put any names on it. You don't put a person's name at all. All you do is put the name of the title. 
and say, the VP of marketing is responsible for this. The you know, uh, sales enablement manager is responsible for this. The account manager is responsible for this. And you detail that out like an org chart with each specific role and kind of what they do and also seeing who they report to. So that will create clarity across your organization as you expand for who's responsible for what, who's reporting to who, and then you make sure to use that as kind of the system for how all things get dealt with. Hmm. You know, who's who's accountable for that? Who's actually the one that's responsible for doing that? When you're a small organization, you can kind of bring four or five people into a room and hash it out and figure it out and, yeah. you know, get everyone on the same page. But when you're 50, 60 people, you know, it's got to follow more of a more of an org chart kind of flow. And that accountability chart just creates more clarity around, you know, who does what. Hmm. So Richard, quickly here, what kind of systems, resources, softwares, other web links do you think that we could use to optimize a system when we are looking to scale even more from a startup? Like what do you recommend we use to to do that? Yeah, so that the immediate thing that comes to mind there is project management software. Mm. <laughs> um, there are uh, a, a huge amount of tools out there that are available. We actually uh, started on Basecamp, but then about two-ish years ago, we made the switch to Asana. Um, ultimately, whatever project management tool that you pick doesn't really matter. What matters is that that project management tool is sort of understood and followed by all of your employees. Mm. And a key thing that Asana allowed us to do was to create additional accountability. Um, we have something where we have rules that like everything in Asana has to be assigned to someone. We don't care if it's a low priority thing, a thing you don't have to do for two years, whatever it is, everything is signed. Everyone owns whatever task or item is being put into that project management tool. Mm. And we use it as, as a management tool to understand due dates, to understand status updates, all that kind of stuff. And what that did is it just created something where you know, like we use Slack as a company and Slack is a ton of fun and, uh, and great for kind of that instantaneous communication. But I, <laughs> I'm sort of the grumpy old man of the office. And I say like, no work gets done in Slack. <laughs> you know, if you want, if you want work done, if you got to get something accomplished or something you need to have, you know, it's owned, it has a due date, it's going to happen. You put it in a sauna, you mm. put it in a project management. So adopting a project management tool early on and really getting your team to, you know, use that tool as it's as intended will do wonders for accountability and transparency regarding the work getting done. Yeah. So Richard, because I'm curious as well with this question I'm about to bring up the within this phase, when you have a business that's that's over 50 employees, I feel like and I've heard a lot of rumors that the founder of that business and how things work at every stage uh, every facet of that business kind of correlates to the personality of the founder and how they actually complete that task or that facet of their business. So what I want to know is one, if that is a true thing that you know after being in the in this uh, position you're at, and then if so, if it's true, how do we optimize that to use it to our best abilities when we're the founders and we have these certain personalities that can benefit the company we build and then hurt the company we build? Like, how do we optimize it if it's true? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's 100% true. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, Jonathan, our founder, uh, is a really super talented guy, but, you know, uh, Essentially, what happens is whatever your strengths and weaknesses are, as your organization gets bigger, you as the founder, you begin to amplify those. Mm. Um, so if you're, you know, uh, Jonathan is really strong in sales and marketing. As such, we have grown tremendously in terms of our ability to generate leads and our ability to close stuff. Uh, you know, our agency Repstalls were one of the fastest growing agencies in our industry. But uh, things that he was maybe less strong at were... Um, 
clear communication, uh, setting expectations, kind of detail-oriented management, everything like that. Mm. Um, and so in the early days of Client Boost, we were growing really fast, but uh, it, I'll be honest, it was chaotic um, <laughs> as a lot of kind of good people go through that. Um, so in, in my instance, I actually act as sort of the counterbalance to Jonathan. And so mm. um, I am more of the detail, clear communication kind of thing. So I think uh, the, the, the takeaway for your, for your listeners is that you know, kind of know thyself, uh, know what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And then if you can find a partner or co-founder or someone else you can put onto the leadership team that is a nice balance to you, um, use that for kind of maximum effect. Um, mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug one more book. Um, Rocket Fuel by Mark Winters. Um, they actually have um, in it, they basically go over this thing called the visionary and the integrator. Um, they basically talk about really successful companies need both. Um, and they have lots of examples of, you know, like uh, Disney and Ford and all these major companies and big successful companies usually have kind of the visionary, the guy who's great with coming up and I, coming up with ideas, the person that sort of owns the, the vision, the brand, uh, and can kind of speak to that. But then they usually have the integrator, the one who can kind of take those ideas and kind of put them into a system and make sure that they functionally work and get put in properly. Mm. Um, and so me and Jonathan have found a nice balance by, by having kind of those two sides, but that's just something to kind of like know where your weaknesses are and then find the right people to help cover those. Um, because as a founder, if you are trying to constantly control every little detail uh, and you're constantly having to get involved in every single conversation, every single problem, you'll never grow. Mm. You got to find a team you can grow with. So true. That I mean, I've been bringing up Gary V on the show a lot and he even preaches that he's like, okay, if you're not self-aware, then first of all, you're losing, you're losing half the battle already. And it really helps as an entrepreneur as well, just to be self-aware, really understand what you're good at, what weaknesses that you have, and then just outsource them. He says that. And I think it's so true because then you can really amplify your strengths and what you're good at. And then someone that's really good at what your weaknesses are, it's just both amplified at the same level. So definitely become self-aware, know what your strengths and weaknesses are. So Richard, Within this aspect as well, what should we completely just avoid with scaling from a startup to a legitimate business per se? What things, when we are starting that process, should we just completely avoid? Sorry, can you repeat the last part of the question? Yeah, yeah. So what, what things should we completely avoid when we are starting from the startup and then going to a legitimate business? Like what should we avoid indefinitely? <laughs> completely completely avoid uh oh wow that's a that's a hard uh, that's a hard question Josh. Good interview. Uh, <laughs> there we go <laughs> um <laughs> things to completely avoid you know a- as a startup you have to take risks uh you got to try things if you're if you're too averse to doing things um that 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 can cause problems the thing that i will say you should completely avoid and this this might be a, a bit of a uh cliche sort of answer but uh you cannot ignore your own self-development as a founder um Mm. and and kind of that along the lines of that know thyself sort of stuff um it it ultimately you know when when growing a business um you can get pretty far on just like sheer hustle but if you want to build a bigger organization you have to grow to that level um, you know, the, mm-hmm. me in my early twenties, I, I was not prepared at all to be the, the VP of a, of a nearly $10 million company. You know, I had to grow and gain experience and do a lot of, you know, development and everything like that. So the one thing to, to completely avoid is thinking you have all the answers, thinking, you know what you're doing, thinking you're the best. Like you got to always be open to growth. You got to always be open to learning more. Hmm. Richard, so a younger entrepreneur, what, what kind of things 
do you believe that we are confused about that you could open up our mind to when scaling? Like, because at this stage, you know, it's hard for young entrepreneurs to see this kind of thing because they haven't really started yet. If they're still wanting to create something that, uh, you know, Jonathan has, like they're not, they're just really confused about this process. And so what kind of things would you just completely unveil? Like, from being in your spot, like day to day, this is what you do. This is what you see. This is what you live every single day. What kind of things can you just unveil for us that are kind of behind the scenes that you can shout out to us? Yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing to unveil is I would say that this is not that hard. Hmm. <laughs> if, if you're, if you're having a lot of doubt and a lot of concern and thinking, you know, I can't, I can't create that, that same level of success. I don't have this thing or that the biggest thing for our, our growth has just been, it's just been getting out there and doing it, okay. you know, and th- this is kind of stuff that Gary V says, like, it's oh, just so one true. day at a time to like get out there and just be passionate about it. So, you know, the, that's the only thing I would veil is that th- there's not like some secret that we're holding on to or anything like that. It really is just about showing up and like being passionate about something and, and being really driven at it. Hmm. Will you make mistakes? Yes. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Should you, sometimes slow down and think about it a lot of times i would say yes jonathan i'm not so sure (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah i I think that's the only thing i really have to to unveil so one of the last questions that i have here for you richard when you just hopped onto client boost when you were just hired to do what you're doing now what was the what were the things that you were working towards what were your goals uh, at your position like what were you working towards when you got hired on to do like tell us those things and how you worked through those processes so we know exactly kind of how a person of your skill and caliber works if we're going to hire someone like that or do it ourselves yeah um well the thing i would say about me is i was actually hired as an account manager um so Thanks. i actually kind of was was promoted through the ranks in, in a very short period of time which is one of the major benefits to working at sort of a startup, you know, yeah. I started when we were like 12 people. So I, I was able to, to get on the, get on the, get on the boat early. Um, I, I would say, you know, for me, the thing I recognized in my career, I had an experience working in, in technology and sales, and I had a pretty multivariate experience. So, you know, for younger listeners that can kind of hop around and have different jobs and try different responsibilities, I very much so recommend doing mm. that. Um, because it makes you more well-rounded and more versatile. In my case, you know, it's funny is when I first started, um, I was looking to get out of sales. I had been doing sales for several years. Um, and I actually recognized, I was like, wow, we need more training and more systems. And I wanted to be the director of training, basically, for mm-hmm. Client Boost. That was my my goal because I've always had a, a, a an interest and a, and a proclivity for um, for systems um, and kind of developing that sort of stuff. But, uh, but Jonathan is very persuasive. And he said, Richard, you should just keep doing sales. You're good at that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure. so I was our sales, I was our sales director. Um, and so the, the thing that was cool for me, and, and maybe I guess the takeaway for your audience is between being an account manager, between being the sales director, and then eventually moving to the VP of operations, I got to experience multiple sides of the business, hmm. which gave me a more complete picture and a more complete understanding of how the business operates. Um, and so, you know, for, for other people that are looking to, to hire, you know, uh, future VP of operations, if you will, you know, you want someone that is, is varied in terms of their experience mm. and can basically, um, you know, has, has a demonstrated ability to kind of like come into organizations and get promoted quickly and mm. be able to do lots of different kinds of tasks. Um, that's something that 
I've always been a big kind of lifelong learner, just always kind of willing to try new things out and uh, and to and to do that. And I'm pretty happy where I am now. I've definitely found a good a good spot that fits my skill set. But uh, I had I had to try out some positions that that didn't exactly you know match my my skill sets and my wants. But I grew from them. Yeah, honestly, like in that way too, because of what you do now, you see a lot of what people are doing and that you manage and like how you can scale those different departments in that business. So I think it's really beneficial for one us to know a lot of skills within businesses like the sales and then the like customer loyalty kind of stuff and the account management and all those kind of things I think should be exposed so that if someone managing a business like you or if they want to do it they have that prior knowledge of how people work within that space and so Richard to end give us just any last words that you have here and then we'll say goodbye yeah, uh, you know, last words. I think thanks for so much for uh, for having me on. Um, I think that the entrepreneurial space there's never been a better time uh, to start and grow a business. So true. Um, there's really just so much opportunity out there, um, and I think I just you know encourage people to you know to read, to learn, uh, and to keep listening to podcasts like yours yeah. to constantly <laughs> be expanding their skill set. Exactly, exactly. So guys, clientboost.com with a K. Is that correct, Richard? Sweet. Correct. Go and check out that business. Definitely Richard is a cool guy. Check out more people like him within that business. And so I'd recommend visiting them. And Richard, thank you so much for coming out and sharing your experience and knowledge, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. No problem. What's up, guys? Again, thank you for tuning in to the podcast. If you enjoy the show, if you like the show, then you have no excuses not to subscribe because it takes such a small amount of time. So go and do that for me. I would be very, very sad if you don't pause this episode right where it's at and do that on the platform you're listening on right now. Lastly, go and give a follow to Niche the Niche Instagram page. You can find it at Niche the Niche. You can follow me and what I'm doing with the podcast and also receive leverageable posts, leverageable content through the Instagram. So go and give that a follow and see what I'm doing every day with the podcast. And I will see you guys on the next episode.